All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. Thank you all for joining us, however you are doing so, whether it's on the Athletic Podcast Network or any one of the free avenues. My name is Joe Biscali, and with me is my co-host, Matthew Fairburn. And it's been a minute since we last talked and wrapped up the 2020 NFL Draft with some of our initial thoughts from, uh, from how the Bills chose to use those resources. But since then, we have the order of games to talk about where the bill schedule is out and it is a doozy and it really i don't know that you can compare in terms of the buzz with this particular schedule with anyone any one of theirs in recent memory just for the sheer number of of primetime games they have and the potential for even more national games um, that that go along with it if they're good enough. So it it was a very very intriguing thing, but uh, we're gonna go through some of the ins and outs and maybe where some of the pitfalls and the easier spots of the schedule is and every everything like that. But my co-host Matthew Fairburn, if you had to, I mean, when you first saw that schedule, obviously the first thing that 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 rang true was the primetime stuff. But but what else stood out to you from? from the satchel of games that the Bills have this year. Yeah, my first thought was that I I hope this schedule happens. Um, you know, I think sure, uh, right. it was interesting yesterday. The buzz of schedule day was a little bit different than it usually is because I, you know, I think with the draft, it was one thing where you sit there and say, yeah, the draft is the perfect distraction for everybody, um, you know, with everything that's going on. They can do it remotely and safely, and you need to pick these players at some point. Might as well do it on schedule, get them in their mm-hmm. playbooks. Like That all made sense. Doing the schedule is a little bit tricky because part of me was like, man, this is a great schedule. I mean, there's a lot of uh, really interesting games. You mentioned the, the four primetime games with the potential for more, a home Sunday night football game in December against the Steelers. Uh, we already knew there would be some great road trips. Uh, on this mm-hmm. schedule, and and there are with Miami, uh, Vegas, and Nashville, three of the first five weeks. Uh, but we also just don't know what the season is going to look like. You know, this would normally be the time where fans and us, you know, are are you know booking travel and you know mapping out uh, what we're going to do in the fall and um, planning out our lives. And can't right. really do that. You know, the the NFL nope. already has contingencies in place if they have to shorten this or if there's fans or if there's reduced capacity, if there's no fans in the stadium. So I understood the NFL's line of thinking in some way of being like, oh, let's provide some hope. But it's also and on another foot, a little weird to be like, oh, there's going to be uh, let's release this schedule that we don't really know, especially when I looked at the the preseason games, which usually is a an exciting part for me because it's like, oh, what? extra two bonus road trips do we get right right (laughs) Um, but i'm sitting there thinking are we really going to be jumping on a plane going to baltimore on august 13th i don't know um a lot of it a lot of it was kind of put put a little bit of a a damper on it in that sense just because you don't feel like you can go all in getting excited and mapping out the fall when the league hasn't totally committed to this is what it will look like. But 
I really hope this is what it what it looks like. I really hope that we're jumping on a plane to Baltimore in August, assuming it's safe to do so. And I hope that, you know, those Miami, Vegas and and Nashville road trips all happen and uh, these primetime games happen in front of fans because that's what makes them uh, so electric. It is um, it's a great schedule. We already knew the opponents were going to be great. Um, a lot mm-hmm. of great teams that that the Bills get to play against and that, um, you know, we get to see play in person and now just the the way it all shakes out um i think makes it makes it really um a really fun slate of games a, a lot of the, the primetime games aren't you know in the past it would be like oh bills jets thursday night football like no there's there's none of that it's <laughs> it's bills color rush hosting the chiefs on thursday night football it's the bills traveling to san francisco so they're playing both super bowl participants participants in prime time and then they're playing the Steelers and Patriots uh in prime time as well one of those being or two of those being home and, and two of them being on the road and like you said potential for that Denver game yeah. to be a prime time game as well which would give them four in a row uh, I mean that in that New England game last year that got flexed to the Saturday afternoon that was basically a, a prime time national game everyone was watching that game yeah, and that's what that Denver game could be. And that would be yep. the whole month of December, they would be on national TV. Which wow. it's <laughs> uh we were talking a little bit before we started recording, but this is this is one of those deals where there's no more um no more of the familiar narratives that that surround the Bills, right? There's no mm-hmm. more of the Oh, this is a a growing team or a rebuilding team or or this team isn't getting any respect. Uh, the the country doesn't pay attention to the Bills. The country, the networks, and the ratings and all that very much you know paid attention to what the Bills did last year. I'd say they earned these primetime games. Now it's a matter of go out there and, and show it. You know, go out there and um, and see what you can do against really. A lot of the best teams in the league, um, probably not all of the best quarterbacks in the league, um, right. but a lot of the best, you know, a handful of the best teams in the league. Um, and then, you know, a handful of teams that are, if not the best teams in the league, the teams that are always getting that attention, right? The, the, the spotlight's always on Pittsburgh, always on New England, um, always on Denver to an extent um, in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. So they're going to have what fans have wanted for a long time is this is the year where it's uh the team is supposed to be good period and they're being treated that way uh by the networks and and by the schedule makers because you don't put the bills in three primetime games with the potential for a fourth in december alone if you don't think they're going to be good right yeah that's that's the important point to that um just wanted to circle back briefly on what you were talking about with you know the hope that the the season commences and you know the, the way that we always knew it to be I mean while they haven't committed to that that's how for sure the season is going to look they also haven't decommitted from it which is important and I think if there's one league in America that would be more hellbent than the others to get this thing going because of 
sponsorships, television deals, all of these different things, um, pressure from the inside. I honestly think it would be the NFL to to try and force this thing through. So I don't know what it's going to look like. Maybe it's a a no fan event from September on. Uh, I was actually having a conversation with um, your friend and mine, uh, Matt Beauvais, the sports director at uh, Channel 7 in Buffalo, and and we were thinking about, okay, so what if it isn't fans? Like, what would that mean for, would they restrict how many members of of each outlet could travel to games? Where would they seat them? Would, would they need to space people out in the press box? Would they just seat media members in the seats where the fans would normally go? Like, it's all, everything... It's all kind of in flux. My thought was maybe if there's no fans, period, then luxury boxes would be open. So it's like, is, oh, true. is, every, right. is everybody going to be in their own, you know, three to a box or something? You know, every outlet right. has their, I don't know. There's there's so many what ifs and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of loose ends. But like you said, they're not, I think if they delayed the schedule, that might have been more of a red flag, right? That, okay, now they're right. And they don't want to project that at all. Um, I think Mm -hmm. they've made that perfectly clear. I don't think the NFL has handled the whole deal poorly, uh, in any, in any way, shape or form. I think the draft was incredible. I think the the draft, the draft worked out. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. I, you know, you could, you could say something about, uh, it being a little over the top in, in some spots, but I think, going forward with the draft as planned worked out. I don't think teams were any less prepared. Um, nobody was put in harm's way. And yeah, the the players may have been, you know, they missed out on the in-person experience, but that was going to happen no matter what. Uh, you, you, you couldn't make that happen at any time, I don't think, between now and um, maybe next year, frankly. So I think that went off perfectly. The schedule, I was kind of, it, it was just more, internally it was i think we all have had the the ups and downs of this not knowing when it will end and everything else and Mm -hmm. the schedule was one of those days for me where i was like it's usually such a fun day even though we know all the um know all the opponents and the locations knowing the order and mapping out your fall uh is fun but as everybody out Mm -hmm. there listening knows none of us have been able to map out anything about our lives months in advance with the way you know information is changing all the time it's but it's interesting to think about what what will this look like you know what will if there's let's say there's no fans i would say that's probably i don't know if it's a doable scenario i don't know what the um what the i'm not an an epidemiologist uh or anything like that but you know it would be impressive if you found the time to be one it would and hey with all this downtime um maybe i should take (laughs) it up as a hobby but uh (laughs) If there's no fans, you know, there's obviously testing that you need and certain, you know, capabilities that you need to even have players and staff. Football is a bigger operation than basketball or baseball or hockey. You know, there's more players on the roster. The coaching staffs are bigger. So there's just more humans on a practice field and on a game field. But if there's no fans the primetime games become kind of, I mean, all games become weird. Is there home field advantage? Not as pronounced, right? You True, know? right, um, fair. There's an advantage uh, if you're San Francisco and the other team has to travel from the East Coast um, because you don't have to travel. 
But, or vice versa. Yeah, Seattle coming to Buffalo is still an advantage uh, because of the mm-hmm. time clock. But the the primetime games certainly lose their luster. Uh, Steelers, Bills, Sunday night football in December won't be the same if, you know, it, if it's empty. Uh, and what does football look like if it's empty? Are you going to have to go all silent count? Because if you're calling <laughs> audibles at the line, they're going to be able to hear you. You know, there's going to be no noise in the stadium. Right. It's going to be a really weird way uh, to play football. But um, well, I think I think the entire sports world is going to keep a very close eye on Germany this month because the first major sports league to schedule the restart of games is the Bundesliga, the soccer, the premier soccer league in Germany. And they're they're slated to get going either next week or the week after that to finish their season. And they're doing it without fans in the stadiums. I think there is even some some talk of some teams uh, trying to pump in noise uh, through through their fans being able to connect uh, virtually, which is kind of an interesting theory, but a, kind of a cool way to go about this whole thing. But it, that that is also kind of a bigger operation too, because those rosters are pretty big. There's uh, there's usually a lot of coaches hanging around there. Um, it, I, I I am very curious to see how it goes because if it goes well, then sports leagues. In other countries are going to go. Okay, how can we get to the Bundesliga point? How can we get to where where they are to where they can restart these things and and it's actually going somewhat smoothly? I think another league to keep an eye on here for this is is the NBA because the NBA is beginning to open their doors to practice facilities. Uh, I think um, it was Larry Nance Jr. of of the Cleveland Cavs who said he's going to go in as as soon as the doors open um, and and how those things go about and. Uh, I it's so, some teams are taking the yeah we're not we're not encouraging our players but other teams are going okay if you want to come in uh, just just you you do what you feel is best um, so those two leagues in particular are, are ones that I think the NFL is going to be monitoring very closely as we go forward here and trying to figure out what to do next but ideally it would be it, it would be um, having maybe a controlled amount of fans in in the stadium uh but that would be tough to monitor too uh just uh, just who could come uh, they just might have to bite the bullet and say all right this is this is just not the year to where fans can can be there but that said there's still ways to kind of simulate the the home experience and and uh and that whole thing if I mean, you, you can't replace fans by any means, but I'm sure teams will come up with creative ways to go about it. And I'm interested to see how that happens. But back to the schedule, I do really enjoy how the Bills slate of games all lined up. I mean, all four of those West Coast trips, like granted, I don't know if the media is going to be able to travel or fans are going to be able to travel for that matter. But all four of those trips are broken up. So that means it's four separate times going out west. Uh, I think the first one's to Vegas. The second one's to Arizona. Uh, the one after that, I think, is... Uh, I, I can't San remember. Fran. San Francisco, yeah. And and then capped off with, with Denver. So the, that's four separate times. So it's there's not even the, the idea that the Bills could 
set up shop in one of those places for a week if they wanted to. That's that's four separate halls out west, and the, those those flights they they uh they add up after a while, um, especially when they were blessed to not basically travel anywhere last year. But uh, that being said. The intrigue with this season, like super cool matchups, some stretches that are that are great and that we're truly going to learn a lot about this team. I think the one that that stands out more than any, and and we we wrote about this in uh, in our uh, schedule analysis piece over at the Athletic. Uh, that four game stretch starting in Vegas. Uh, in week four, extending through their road game at the New York Jets in October, basically the whole month of October. Three out of those four games are on the road at Vegas, at Tennessee, and at the Jets. Uh, their only home game is the Kansas City Thursday night game. All four of those teams are probably going in the, to be in the playoff mix in 2020 because of the seventh playoff team and it would have tiebreaker, um, a lot of tiebreaker. Uh, instances on the line with who depending on who wins and who loses and then the bills are taking on the two teams that were in the afc championship game in five days that is an insane stretch of games and being that early in the season that could be all the difference between the bills figuring out who they are and that they're going to be a real contender in 2020 and for them maybe falling back a little bit and going, okay, well, maybe they're not as far as everyone thought that they were. That, that Those four games are really important in my mind. Yeah, you can easily see them starting 2-0 against the Jets and the Dolphins, uh, particularly with the Jets being at home. Uh, the Dolphins are much improved, but who knows uh, how quickly they can come together with, with a lot of new pieces and, and some That defense players. might be sneaky good, by the way. I think, they'll be a, I think they're going to be a good team. It might take them some time to get there. Yeah. They might be more dangerous in Week 17 than they are in Week 2. But you could see the Bills starting 2-0 and without um, – you know, it's not too too hard to imagine that. It's after that that it gets – it gets tricky. Home against the mm-hmm. Rams, I think, is a winnable game. I don't think the Rams are quite what they were when they went to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, but still not uh, the easiest team uh, to beat. And then the stretch that you mentioned, road against the Raiders, uh, on the road against the Titans, home against the Chiefs, on the road against the Jets, and then New England and Seattle at home after that. Right. I mean, that is not uh, an easy stretch of football games. New England will be easier than than it's been in the past, but um, you know, and Seattle's at home still. I think by that point, think about how fast a start the Bills got off to last year, and how much that helped them have just a, a cushion down the stretch. You know, and um, they didn't really need the cushion, but they were able to go into Week 17 and rest their starters, and um, that was certainly very valuable for them. I don't know if they'll have quite as big a cushion this year, which makes that late season stretch even more interesting, Uh, especially you mentioned seven playoff teams. It's not like it's going to be impossible for the Bills to get into the playoffs at nine and seven. So I think if if that early stretch, you know, sees them go five and four, um, they're still very much in the mix, uh, you know, heading into the final part of the season. With some tough games and a tough climb to get there, especially with a lot of it being, you know, primetime games and road games. But 
um, it's it's well spaced out um, without a lot of lulls. There's not a lot of dips in the schedule where you think you can start just checking off wins. You know, it's a, right. It, it's a definitely a, a tough early part and a tough finish. Um, maybe a little bit easier in the middle when you look at the Jets on the road, New England at home, Seattle at home, Arizona on the road, bye week, and then Chargers at home. That group of five games is probably the least daunting, but those are still not pushover teams. The Seahawks will always be daunting to me. I mean, as long as they, they are, have yeah. Russell Wilson rolling, the fact I, that I mean, it's they're, at home, they're going to figure the, it out. Uh, is yeah. the only saving grace there. But even on the road, Seattle is Seattle is a tough football team to yeah, play against are. all the time. And yeah, Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson, and and Patrick Mahomes both being on the schedule, are arguably the two best quarterbacks in football. Um, but after that, there's I don't know what other quarterbacks are you looking at that you we've seen what Sean McDermott's defense has done to even good right. quarterbacks so you know what quarterback other than those two on the on the schedule you know strikes any sort of fear you know well my my main question is what will Ben Roethlisberger look like in 2020 because 2020, of uh, what will he look like December 13th, 2020 right. his, his diet uh, apparently is according to Jay Glazer's mailbag on, on the athletic uh, the term, I, I believe it was diet and Ben Roethlisberger cannot be used in the same sentence or something along those lines, which is a hilarious thing to write. So I'm not sure what, what, uh, what Ben Roethlisberger is going to be this year, but you brought up an interesting point about how much a great early start for the bills in 2019 helped spring them to where they ultimately went, which was the playoffs for the second time in three years. And they started the season five and one, uh, and certainly you cannot take that start away from them because they got the job done when they needed to. They beat the teams that they needed to and everything like that. But if 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 you're going to look at that five and one start objectively, you you realize that they had some very um, they had some situations that went their way all right in a row. I mean, the Jets, that first game, they were down for a lot of it. They scored two second or two fourth quarter touchdowns to come back and win that game. And Sam Darnold was probably dealing with the after effects or the the current effects of mono at that point. Um, the Giants, that was Eli Manning's last start before they benched him for for Daniel Jones, and they were a lot more predictable. The Bengals were one of the worst teams in football last year, and they played the Bills pretty tough. In that game, the Titans, that was the last game for the Titans that they started Marcus Mariota before they turned to Ryan Tannehill. So that's three of those five wins. And let's also not forget that Miami game to get them to five and one. That was very much in question Uh, up until Tredavious White picking off a pass uh, at the goal line. It looked like Miami was going to pull the upset in that game. But the Bills deserve credit because they they put all those games away that they should have. But still, that early start helped influence what they were throughout the season, which is why those early games and that, that, that stretch of October games is going to be so important 
to them to figuring out who they are. The Raiders are going to contend for a playoff spot this year. As long as Carr doesn't throw up all over himself. And even then, they have Marcus Mariota on the bench that they go they could go to if they're not happy with uh, how, how Carr is playing. Um, and then, of course, you have the Titans who seem like they're going to be the exact same version of themselves late in the year last year. Still good defensive players, still good. Uh, still Derrick Henry, um, probably going to take the ball out of Ryan Tannehill's hands when when, uh, when they don't have to play in, in chase mode, anything like that. The Chiefs are the Chiefs, and the Jets are going to be better this year. I know Adam Gase stinks as a head coach, but the talent is better all over that roster, and they can only go up from what was a weird series last year. So that start, like you nailed it on the head, that start is everything to them in in 2020 and if they wind up going two and four at the beginning stages of the season and then that could absolutely sink them um to where they're battling for that seventh spot and then in a year where we thought that they were going to contend for a division title ends up being all right contend for one of the final playoff spots and then hope that you pull an upset in the first round of the playoffs it's it that that start is everything yeah to me i mean you know there's been a lot of talk out there the bills are getting a lot of attention right they're you know they had a good off season um they you know they had the the good year last year made some noise got to the playoffs the idea that this is a 12 win team i think probably is looking probably is a best case scenario right that's a a bit of wishful thinking on, on some of these games i think you could say on paper it looks like a 12-win team in a vacuum, but we know that every year with the schedule and how things work out, um, 12 wins one year doesn't equal 12 wins the next. 10 wins one year doesn't equal 10 wins the next. So I think there, this schedule looks tougher than last year's schedule. We don't know that until they start playing games, but last year's schedule was historically weak. In the especially in the beginning part, it got a little bit tougher as it went along. But even as we go down this list and talk about, oh, there's not too many quarterbacks that that you get too afraid of on this schedule. Uh, you bring up a good point about you know some of the games they played last year. I mean, some of the quarterbacks they played last year: Brandon Allen, Duck Hodges, um, Andy Dalton. Uh, did they even play against Andy Dalton, or did they have somebody else? They played Dalton. They played Dalton. Uh, no, they, they Ryan were Finley one of the didn't last get ones until later to get Dalton. But they got Mariota right before he got benched. Uh, they got Dalton right before he got benched. Uh, so last year was, in a lot of ways, uh, one of the worst schedules in football. Um, right there with the Patriots. The Patriots had a really easy schedule too. So now this is like I like I said, you know, at the beginning. This is this is it. This is what good teams get faced with, right? You make the playoffs, you're going to get teams that are a little bit higher uh, in the division. And when you're playing both West divisions in the same year, um, those are, are pretty tough divisions to begin with. So there's no no place to hide if you're the Bills, uh, and that's what you should want. Uh, I think that's what people around here have been waiting for for a long time. Is big time primetime games and a team that should be able to handle it. And this is where you learn about them. This is where you it's this is where you learn about your third year quarterback. Uh year four of you know this this regime, this rebuild, whatever you want to call it, year three of this this quarterback, 
this is where where you learn a lot about whether it's a team that can be that plucky underdog that gets to the playoffs or whether it can be a team that beats good teams and makes, you know, some serious noise when it gets to the playoffs. They'll certainly if they make their way to the playoffs, they'll be plenty tested. They'll be ready to um, you know, they'll have played some of the best teams in the league assuming um I'd say I think that's a safe thing to say, regardless of how which direction some of these teams trend. Uh, you know, by December, Pittsburgh, Denver, the Chargers, even San Francisco might not look as daunting, but um, all of a sudden that end of season stretch could look a little bit easier. But I think mm-hmm. you can safely assume that some of the best teams in the league are on this schedule, and uh, that'll give the Bills a, a good good idea of where they are uh, and a good idea of where some of their their important young players are, namely the guy under center. Yeah, and we'll get to him in just a moment. But first, uh, a message from our sponsors at Manscaped. If you're bored in the house, bored in the house, bored, why not spend some time on yourself? Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving thanks to their Lawn Mower 3.0. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. While you are probably looking for new things to do at home, why not make Manscaping part of your routine? The perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. Precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one but two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code the athletic. All right, now you you definitely made the the good segue to Josh Allen and quickly before we get to him and what this all means for him. The way that we were talking about the early parts of the schedule, you know, and how the team really won. It got me to thinking of this parallel that either is going to look really uh clairvoyant or could wind up being just nothing. And that would be, at least for me, the 2018 Chicago Bears. That is a roster that was formulated around their defense. I mean, that's how they won their games. Um, They didn't depend too heavily on Mitchell Trubisky to get the job done. They ended up going 12-4 and that season. And two, uh, actually, two of their losses came in overtime. And their first loss of the season, which was in week one, they only lost by a point to the Packers. Like, that was a great team because of their defense. They were getting pressure on the quarterback. And again, Mitchell Trubisky didn't have to do too much. But at that point, Trubisky, even throughout the the stages of that season, they weren't they weren't tested. Uh, like, he, he wasn't really uh, thought to be coming of age in the same way that maybe Patrick Mahomes was at, at that point, or certainly Deshaun Watson at, at that point. I mean, this is, for them, they knew how the formula to win their games, and it's 
eerily similar to how the Bills won their games in, in 2019. I mean, they didn't have as great of results as Chicago did that season, but still, it was dependent upon their defense. If the defense didn't have their fastball, then odds are the Bills are going to lose that game because the offense just wasn't scoring enough. That's why the offense has been such a big focal point this season to make sure that they didn't have to depend solely on their defense, even though they built the defense up a little bit more to try and sustain uh, their presence and their impact on games, it still it still needs to improve to where you're you need to uh, the defense doesn't need to hold the team to under twenty points to ensure that they're going to win the game. That's that's the whole point about this. And it, when you look at the the point totals from Chicago in the year that they won twelve games, these these are the Bears' point totals in their wins: 24, 16, 48, which was the anomaly, 24, 41 over the Bills, ironically enough, 34, 25, 23, 15, 24, 14, 24. Like that, that is completely dependent outside of three in there. So 75% of their wins was dependent upon the defense handling their business. And that's that's something that the Bills need to get away from. And it all revolves around number 17 for them. Josh Allen has to be the, the thing with the added help of Stefan Diggs and now Zach Moss to go with Devin Singletary, he has to be the guy that helps this Bills team sustain and get to those spots that they that they hope to be. And if he doesn't, if he regresses or and falls back into old tendencies, or if he just kind of floats along and, and stays at the same clip, then you're probably looking at another 9 and 7, 10 and 6 team. Uh, because the defense is so good. But without that offensive advancement, I'm not sure that 11 or 12 win season, or 13, said by by some, I'm not sure it's coming without Josh Allen coming of age this year. I think he absolutely has to take a step forward. And, you know, you've got, this for the most part, a lot of the same pieces around him, with the exception of the major addition of Stephon Diggs and... Um, you know, the the addition of Zach Moss in the backfield to make that a, a deeper group um, to go with Devin Singletary. But they're talking about continuity as an advantage. So, you know, the continuity on the offensive line, year three with Brian Dayball as his offensive coordinator. I think it's an important thing to point out. You know, you bring up the 2018 Bears, which funny enough, um, the Bears were what everybody – said they hoped the Bills would be in 2019, right? The the 2018 mm-hmm. Bears were what people wanted to be, except by the time it hit about midseason in 2019, it was like, okay, let's hope the Bills are the 2018 Bears, but let's hope the 2020 Bills aren't the 2019 Bears because mm-hmm. they looked a lot worse. The, the thing that stands out to me about this schedule, and you can't, we won't know for sure until the end of the season how strong it is. But last year, the Bills, if you throw out the playoff game, obviously that was against the playoff team and they lost. In the regular season, they were 1-4 and four against teams that qualified for the postseason. And the only win was against the Tennessee Titans uh, when they still had Marcus Mariota as their quarterback. So it was a different Titans team with Ryan Tannehill under center. They lost to the Patriots twice, they lost to the Eagles, and they lost to the Ravens. 
you know, some of the, those impressive quote unquote statement wins against the Cowboys and the Steelers, those were not, you know, those were teams that didn't make the playoffs. Um, even the Browns was considered one of those games where they could make a statement. The Browns picked 11th in the draft. The Bills had five wins last season against teams that picked in the top five of the 2020 NFL draft. So five of their wins, five of their 10, half of them came against teams that were picking. They were four of the five worst teams in the league. Um, Two games against the Dolphins, the Giants, and the Bengals, and Washington. So that's a significant chunk of their wins. Now the question is, the 2020 schedule, how many of those teams are going to be playoff teams? Uh, And I think that's kind of what you look at and say, you know, certainly we can't, we can't say for sure, right? It's, it's early and, and we don't know, but I think it's safe to say the chiefs will be in the playoffs. Um, outside of that, I don't know that I, maybe the Seahawks, I don't know if I can safely bet on anybody besides the chiefs, the 49ers and the Seahawks, but you mm-hmm. can, you can bet that there's probably, you know, five playoffs. Five games against playoff teams. That's what they had mm-hmm. last year, and it wasn't a strong schedule. So in those five games, are they going to go better than one and four? Because the problem is this schedule doesn't look like it has, you know, while the the strength at the top might be similar, who knows how the, the playoff, you know, how many games they'll have against playoff teams. It doesn't look like, and again, this could, you know, change because strength of schedule is weird, but I don't know that they're also going to have five games against bottom five teams in the league right that the is, layup factor is so much different i mean the who are the layups in the nfl this year the ones you that you know are actively taking probably I mean, the jaguars and the, the jaguars, jaguars and the panthers the are the two that come to mind the most because it seems like they're both going to be in on the the trevor lawrence sweepstakes if it is actually for trevor lawrence or insert other quarterback here but those two teams are not on the schedule uh, for the Bills. So even the worst team, the the level of competition of the their worst opponent is raised significantly, I'd say, than, than what they faced last year. And it could, again, it very well could work out slightly differently than that. You know, you could be looking at a, a team loses a quarterback to injury. Um, right, a team, sure. You know what team could be a sneaky bottom of the league contender is the L.A. Chargers. Um, with the quarterback change, a rookie quarterback, who knows? Maybe the Dolphins and Jets don't take the step forward. Uh, but I think you're right in that um, you're probably looking at the Panthers as a potential bottom five team in the league, uh, the Giants. Um, you know, think about it this way the Bills had one of those teams that looked like it was tanking or at least had torn down its roster, the Dolphins, in their division last year. So that was two mm-hmm. games built in. In addition to that, they had the Bengals, Washington, and the Giants, who were all basically um, in a similar boat. The Bengals and the Bengals had torn down their their roster in a way um, and quickly looked like the worst team in football. And then Washington and New York were starting rookie quarterbacks. Uh, this year, there I don't think they're, those are on the schedule. May, again, maybe it happens. Maybe mm-hmm. Sam Darnold looks terrible. Maybe the Chargers look like a mess without Phillip Rivers. Maybe Drew Locke isn't um, you know what we thought. Uh, maybe the Raiders. Um, there's a there's a pretty high uh, bust factor with the Raiders all the time. So you know that's possible. But I think 
for the most part, it doesn't look like that on paper. And so right. if you don't have those built in, point being, without those five games built in, you better go better than one and four against teams that make the playoffs, uh, particularly considering that win came against a, a, a team that benched its quarterback the week after and became the playoff team it became because of that. Mm-hmm. So the quality wins on the schedule last year didn't really exist. The way they played against the top of the league was underwhelming. And I think that has to change, not only to make the postseason or get to 10 wins or nine wins or 11 wins, whatever it's going to take to be one of those seven teams in the playoffs. But I think you have to show that you can beat those teams to have the confidence going into the postseason that you'll be able to do it uh, because that's who you play against in the postseason. Uh, it might be a little different this year with a seven team sneaking in. Maybe it's not as strong of a field, but if you're one of those seven teams, you're playing against a quality football team, uh, a team most likely with with a decent quarterback and and some redeeming qualities. You're not playing against the Bengals and the you know the Giants uh, of the world. So if there's going to be some you know. It's one thing to be, say, you know, look at the schedule and say, yeah, this team's going to be battle tested. In a way, it will. How it comes through those tests will likely determine whether you think it's a team that sneaks into the playoffs and gets bounced uh, or whether it's a team that can get into the playoffs and make some noise. Because I think they've reached the point where you have to expect them to make noise in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be that team that that can't get to that next level because, um while it's certainly better than where the Bills were for the first 16, 17 years uh, since the turn of the, the millennium, it's not where you necessarily want to be. Um, it's not – I don't know that you're considered a consistent winner if you can't consistently threaten once you get there. It's where the Bengals found themselves for a long time. Now, a slight counterpoint, but it's also something you kind of alluded to before before you – when you were setting it all up, like strength of schedule is a weird thing when, and you don't really know, like one injury can set things completely in motion to where you didn't expect a team to spiral out of control in one given season. Now, one example I'll give of that is the team that was the worst team in football last year, the Cincinnati Bengals. When the Bills got them, they were only 0-2 and one of their two losses came to Seattle at Seattle, where they almost pulled off the win in week one. Like, it was close, and they probably should have won that game. Like, the Bengals, uh, early on in the season, before they went to Ryan Finley and all that, they were much better than what their final record ended up being. But then they got hit with injuries after injuries, and then they said, okay, well, we need to find out about Ryan Finley, so Andy Dalton, take a seat. Thanks for everything you did for the organization. And then it unraveled to the point where they were picking first overall in the draft. But the Bengals were not expecting to have that poor of a season. They they thought to themselves that they are going to be in the mix, maybe slightly below to the, that wild card realm, and it just completely torpedoed on them and so that's that's why we can't take it as fact at this point and you alluded to that like I said so let's say a team like I don't know 
the Rams could be terrible next year. Like, let's say Jared Goff is just a shell of what he was two seasons ago. And so, and because that, that defense is going to be pretty bad, I think, in, in 2020. Uh, Aaron Donald is will still be good, but, like, their pass rushers are gone. Um, on, on the outside, they let their top linebacker go. Uh, like the, the defense might wind up being a real weakness for them. And I'm not sure Goff can do enough to overcome that. But anyway, tight teams like that, you mentioned the chargers. That's another candidate for some serious regression in 2020. So you just don't know. The other thing you don't know is even if you do beat these contending teams, look at the Ravens last year, the Ravens beat everybody, absolutely everybody. And they were one and done because they ran into the Tennessee Titans who had been playing playoff games for the final three weeks of the year. And look, there there it is. The, the Ravens' spectacular season was done just in a snap of a finger. So it's, it's such a fleeting thing uh, whether or not these games against contenders will help you in the long run. They probably do, but there's also examples of where you just look shell-shocked, especially if you haven't been in those situations before. I think the one thing working in the Bills' favor here is the fact that they had a gut-wrenching playoff loss to the Houston Texans. I know it wasn't ideal, but but the fact of the matter is they played well enough in three quarters to win that game, and then they blew it in the fourth. The defense, Josh Allen, the whole thing just unraveled on them in the fourth quarter and certainly into overtime as well to where one or two plays could have been the difference to them moving on in the playoffs. So that that will give them the experience to know that they know what is needed to win those types of uh, atmospheres and, and, and those types of contests. But still... It's such a it's such a fleeting thing, strength of schedule and and even just playing against contenders. You don't know what you're getting from one week to the next, which is kind of what makes this a, a futile exercise, if 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 I'm being honest. But it's fun to talk about because it's the schedule and and, and it's and it's brand new. Yeah, I mean schedule predictions are um impossible. Yes. Um, <laughs> a lot of the times, but it is it's an interesting exercise to see where it where it starts in May, we'll probably revisit it right before the season, whenever that starts, when we get a chance to actually look at this team. Uh, and that's where it was, you know, some people were, think I was being a little pessimistic saying nine and seven for this team, but a lot of it had to do with not having seen Josh Allen and what he's going to look like and, you know, what, um, what the offense will look like with Stefan Diggs. There's a lot of things that you learn in training camp that are hard to um, assume, you know, in, mm-hmm. in terms of development. But I do think last year they got, exp- even though, you know, Dallas and Pittsburgh probably weren't as quality of wins as they appeared to be in the moment. Um, and, you know, in retrospect, they were, good teams um they were not playoff teams they were not great teams but they were good teams talented teams tough environments pittsburgh's defense was awesome last year yeah they, like I one mean, of the best du- i saw yeah great defense and duck hodges at quarterback but <laughs> you know and the the offense didn't exactly handle pittsburgh's defense that was a, a game where the bills defense really showed up yeah um, i think the Bills' offense was more impressive in Dallas, 
But point being, they got into these games where they were they were big moments, big ish moments. They got the experience of being in the spotlight of mm-hmm. of having that adrenaline. It kicks up a different notch in the playoffs, and they did not handle that well uh, on either side of the ball. But neither did you know, like you mentioned, neither did Lamar Jackson. Um, neither did Deshaun Watson the first time he was in the playoffs. Uh, last year, he fared much better. So there's no guarantee that experience makes you more well-equipped to handle it because that was never the case for, for certain quarterbacks, Andy Dalton included. Um, but you also, you know, you make a good point about you can get there. You could be, hell, they could go 13-3. and three. And it doesn't necessarily make them any more likely to to knock off a hot team in, mm-hmm. in the postseason. It's such a they they say it so much that it's become a cliche. But the the week to week league thing is is real, and, very much so. Um, and that's why it's until you know what the matchup looks like, who's the healthier team, who's hot heading into the postseason. It's really hard to to look at a, a schedule on paper that may or may not happen as constructed and and say, yeah, that's a 12-win team. That's a 13-win team. They're going to the, the AFC title. There's there's a lot unknown, and I feel like there's more variables than ever this time with not knowing what the offseason will look like and not knowing exactly what the season will look like with fans, without fans, shortened, not shortened. Um, but all I know is I hope it I hope it happens the way it's, it's mapped out because mm-hmm. it, um, this is one of the – this is a year that – that should be a a prove it year for the Bills. It should be a you know, in some respects, you know, not necessarily make or break, but very much a prove it year. A a put up or shut up. You know, you've got the spotlight, you've got all the pieces, all the continuity, you've got veterans all over your roster. This is it. This is uh the year that that things are supposed to come together and the schedule sets up for it. Now we just gotta cross our fingers and and hope that everything uh, everything goes off as as planned and they get to play these football games. As Buddy Nix once hilariously said, "Show me the baby." That's all 2020 is. Show me the baby. And I was very confused by that statement when I first heard it. But, but now you know. But now you know. Show me the baby, Buddy Nix. Absolutely. Nicks. It is it is that kind of year, very much in 2020. Mm-hmm. It is it is uh, nut cutting time, as our other old friend Richie Incognito would say. Um, it is time for them to play with play with the big boys. Play in the uh, they're eating at the the adult table this year, and they're going to be treated that way. I think they're going to have a, a target on their back. People know about. This Bills team, uh, they know what they're about. They know they're a tough out for sure, um, and they know they're going to have a lot of hype. And they know that going into Buffalo, particularly if there's fans, is going to be a, a tough place to play. So um, they're not going to catch anybody napping this time around. Mm-hmm. That's that's for sure. I will say one thing that helped propel their season forward in 2019 was that that key victory in Dallas and against an, an underperforming but extremely talented Cowboys team and so the Bills need some of those that year so maybe maybe it's the Rams maybe uh maybe it's the Raiders maybe it's the Titans 
to where, you know, it looks good at the moment, but it, it, I mean, just the whole viewpoint of it, when those wins happen, how those teams looked when you played them, that's of high importance in this as well. So a lot to, uh, a lot to unfold, hopefully, as we get closer to uh, September in 2020. All right, Matthew Fairburn, I believe your uh, your new article just posted um, over at the Athletic. So, uh, so, so, what's what can people read about right now? Yeah, it's not going to be a a bright and cheery Friday read. Not one that uh, it may trigger some folks, but uh, it's do over week, so naturally everybody's going to be triggered by by do over week and i wrote about the bills trading the pick that became patrick mahomes Mm. and i hope that i i enjoyed well i would be lying if i said i enjoyed writing it it was a lot to wrestle with a lot of information making sure i was you know coming at it from a um trying not to be too heavy-handed you know trying to understand this is a topic that will will set some people off but I enjoyed researching a little more, uh, talking to, to some people involved, and I think it's a better medium on our site where the commenters are mostly civil um, than on Twitter, where it becomes you know 280 character snippets of having to work a lot of information in. It is a very nuanced deal, right? Mm-hmm. The Bills sure. passing on Patrick Mahomes. And I hope I covered every nuance of it. I don't think, look, the Bills aren't the only team that wants a do-over on Patrick Mahomes, number one. Uh, You could argue every team picking in front of them wants the do-over as well. The Bears Uh, especially. (laughs) The Bears more than most, I would say, because they picked a quarterback. Uh, I would say, I think the team that probably doesn't get talked about enough, which is just because they're um, somewhat of a, an afterthought but the Jaguars screwed that up so bad Uh, they were sitting there at number four and took a running back uh, because they were hell-bent on Blake Bortles when it was clear it was time to move on and they passed on Mahomes and Watson that's the other part not only do all these teams want do-overs on Mahomes they probably want them on Watson too Um, but I think it's a an interesting topic Uh, certainly Look, if you're the Bills, you could have whiffed a lot worse. Um, You could have traded back and not gotten an all-pro cornerback. Um, You know, they ended up with Zay Jones, Tredavious White, and Tremaine Edmonds because of the picks they got from the Chiefs. Not the worst, all things considered. Um, They also, you know, loaded up on picks and got Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen will be a big, you know, a big part of this. And a lot of people... The other part that I tried to address in there is that, you know, the draft day do-over is a tale as old as time, right? You know, Mm -hmm. Terrell Troop over Rob Gronkowski, uh, TJ Graham over Russell Wilson, um, the Sammy Watkins over Odell Beckham, uh, and Khalil Mack for that matter. Uh, And Mike Evans. Yeah, you could do it um, any which way you want, honestly. I mean, there's so many, and it seems like there's – probably more for teams like the bills and uh, other teams that, that have had, you know, been down on their luck over the last 20 years. But the fact of the matter is the, the trading, trading the pick that became the guy that is now the best quarterback in football, they'll always be tied to it. And I think what makes it relevant, what makes it 
interesting for this current regime is that yes, Sean McDermott was was there. He was calling the shots in that draft. Terry Pagula had not fired Brandon Bean. Um, you mean Doug not, Whaley? Not fired yeah. Doug Whaley and hired Brandon Bean at the beginning of the off season. So there was kind of a lame duck front office where are you going to trust? Are you going to make that pick with a front office that you're not aligned with um, before you've got a GM in the building that that you want and an offensive coordinator that you want? Because I don't think they ever wanted Rick Dennison from from what I understand. So a lot of a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have yous. But in the end, it's tough to argue that the pick pick should have been Mahomes. The the one argument I just don't um, I don't like. You can't assume that the Bills would be where the Chiefs are and that they would have won a Super Bowl. But you also right. can't assume that Patrick Mahomes would suck. Yeah. Because by that logic, you're assuming that Josh Allen will suck. Because the logic is, well, if they had taken Patrick Mahomes and he didn't have Andy Reid and he didn't have all those weapons, he would have sucked. Well, the next year, Josh Allen got thrown into a situation that was arguably worse. Uh, the offensive line lost for Incognito and Eric Wood. I don't think it's arguable. It's it's hugely it's worse. Just, yeah, it's point blank. The only thing about the situation that was better was that the front office was in place mm-hmm. um, and a new offensive coordinator was in place. So he would have had continuity at offensive coordinator. Patrick Mahomes would have had to sit behind Tyrod Taylor, which probably wouldn't have lasted very long considering Tyrod Taylor got benched for Nathan Peterman. Um and then he would have had to probably get used to a new offensive coordinator, and he wouldn't have fit what Rick Dennison did. Rick Dennison probably wouldn't have groomed him the way Andy Reid would have. However, the next year they threw Josh Allen into a worse situation, um, albeit with a different coordinator, with nobody to learn from uh, in the quarterback room. So um, that logic isn't isn't one-to-one to me. I think it's a weird mentality to have of this guy would have sucked. Well, then you're just assuming that everybody that they – Right. pick at quarterback will suck because it's not like the head coach has changed. It's not like they had a tremendous amount of talent around Josh Allen in 2018. So I understand it's a topic that gets people upset because what's the point? A lot of people say what's done is done, but um, hopefully people approach it with an open mind and hopefully um, they read through the whole thing and not just the headline and say, right. okay, it was, I don't think it was it was too heavy handed. I tried not to hammer them too much. Um, I tried to present all sides of the of the situation, and hopefully people learn a thing or two because I learned a, a thing or two uh, calling some folks involved. I mean, it's a it's a nuanced conversation. It's not just as easy as um, because you also have to realize where the bills were and certainly how some of that was their own doing and so i'm really intrigued to go read it as soon as we uh as soon as we stop recording here but also the billion dollar question with that whole debate and i'm sure um i'm sure that's a topic some fans will will discuss upon uh, upon a piece like this is what Brandon Bean would have done if he was in charge of of that draft that's that's the the end all be all question that that I have always wondered what would he have done if he was in place by the time the 2017 NFL draft does go off and all of this could be moot if Josh Allen becomes what they think he's going to Uh, I mean it's still Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league right now and I'm not really sure that's up for debate uh, but 
and it's going to be tough to live up to that. But if Josh Allen is consistently good, it makes this to be not really a thing. And if he helps them win in all of these different things, then I mean, there's still very much a variable with it. And I'm sure you go into that with great detail as well. So a lot, all so many sides to this. I touched on what Brandon Bean would have done. I, from my understanding, getting to know him the way that I have, I think there's a strong chance they would have taken a quarterback. Mm-hmm. But I say that with the caveat of there is no way to say which quarterback or whether he would have even been comfortable taking a quarterback because he was the assistant general manager of the Panthers and they did not do the work on the quarterbacks. I linked to the story I did on their scouting of Josh Allen and if the big takeaway I think from that story, and there's a quote from Sean McDermott in there about how the timeline of scouting the quarterbacks in 2017 was a bit more condensed than it was in 2018. That was almost a 12 month process. And a big part of that process for Brandon Bean was January to April senior bowl meeting Josh Allen, um, the private visit out to, to Laramie, Wyoming, um, all of that stuff that that helped him fall in love with him. He didn't do any of that work on the 2017 uh, draft because the Panthers weren't in the quarterback market. So it's really impossible for him to say what his ranking of the quarterbacks would have been, which ones he would have been comfortable with. And it's it would be disingenuous for him to even say how he would have had them ranked. First mm-hmm. of all, it's th- that's the funny thing about doing a story like this is you can't really – take anybody at their word on how they had those guys ranked necessarily. And I think that's kind of, um, it's irrelevant. The Bills didn't have Patrick Mahomes ranked high enough to take him number 10, period. Why do we know that? Because they didn't take him number 10. Same goes for Deshaun Watson. Um, You could say that that was a McDermott thing and not a Whaley thing, but Whaley also you can't really say, oh, how'd you have those quarterbacks ranked? Because it would be easy for him to say, oh, I had Mahomes. And you know, they just didn't listen to me. So same goes for Brandon Bean. He didn't do any of the work or, or not the level of work that he did in 2018. So he can't sit there and say, oh, I had Mahomes number one. I had Watson number one. You know, Trubisky was pretty popular before that draft, too. Um, and I talked to Greg Gabriel, who um, spent a lot of years uh, in the NFL as a director of college scouting and has since become an analyst in the Chicago area. So he's familiar with this conversation because if Bills fans think it's uh, a tired topic. I think, you know, in Chicago, it's an even bigger topic because they picked Trubisky. Um, but there were questions about Mahomes. He wasn't a sure fire. Uh, he would have been the number one pick if there weren't, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the Browns would have taken him number one instead of Miles Garrett. So, but I do think that Brandon Bean and his staff, knowing them, they would have, that's, that's an important position, right? They know that. And it was priority one. When Brandon Bean walked in the door, he knew Tyrod Taylor wasn't the answer, and he did everything he could to position himself to get into the top 10 to take a quarterback. Well, if he had gotten here in January, I don't think his feelings about Tyrod Taylor would have been any different, number one. And number two, he already would have been in the top 10 Mm -hmm. uh, to have a chance. So all the only question left is how would he have had those quarterbacks ranked? Would he have been comfortable enough? That's something that we can never get a reliable answer to. But to your point, 
Josh Allen doesn't necessarily need to be Patrick Mahomes for yeah. for that to go away. And yeah. some people say it should already go away, but fact of the matter is it's a pertinent topic to this regime and how the dominoes all fell into place. And it starts, I think, at up top with ownership, not bringing in a GM and a head coach at the same time. Yep, totally um, agree I there. Think, I think that's probably where you lay more of the blame than necessarily on Sean McDermott, who a defensive head coach with not his first choice of offensive coordinator in a front office he wasn't aligned with was probably a little trigger shy to take a quarterback at number 10. I think that's, you know, boils down to is he was afraid to make that investment without all those pieces in place, people to lean on. You know, he had Brian Dable, Joe Shane, and Brandon Bean on those meetings with the quarterbacks the following year. None of those guys were there. The only guy that was still there that would have been on those meetings maybe would have been, you know, Terry Pagula, obviously, and David Culley, who had never coached quarterbacks before. So mm-hmm. um, it's not too, too much on McDermott, but it is a it's a a major domino to how the rest of this team was built. Um, and as Greg Gabriel says in, at you know at the end of the story, is they have done enough to win games. They've made the playoffs two of the last three years. Uh, and if Josh Allen continues to be that, even if he's a, a couple tiers below Mahomes, because Mahomes will probably live in his own tier for a while, um, and Watson will be in that that top tier too. But even if Josh Allen is good enough to win and you know win some playoff games and turn them into a contender, a team that can contend for a Super Bowl, this goes away. Yep, because, absolutely. Um, because, yeah, you'll always regret passing on Patrick Mahomes just like everybody will just like everybody it's not quite a Tom Brady thing right or even a Russell Wilson thing because everybody including the team that drafted those guys passed on him multiple times but it is one of those things where Andy Reid clearly saw something other people didn't um the, the other point that's raised in the story is if he doesn't get picked by the Chiefs this isn't it's weird to write a story like this because there's so many hypotheticals usually it's just writing down facts what people said you know this mm-hmm. is there's a lot of hypotheticals and and things we don't know but one of the key questions um that i hadn't really thought about that greg gabriel raised is if he doesn't go 10 where does he go does he go 12 or do the texans take deshaun watson still does he go you know where does he go how far does he fall i don't know wasn't um, new orleans in the mix for this as well I, I, fe- I feel like it had some interest there were other teams the texans apparently were very interested um but who knows where does he go how right. far does he fall and then right. it's a different conversation because the other guy you can have this conversation about is lamar jackson right i mean um there's a lot of these uh in the draft every year which is why it's a a bit of a crapshoot but um it was it was a story. I hope I hope people read it. I, I trust. I'm actually glad we talked about it here because I, I think most people that listen um, usually have a pretty open mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. You know, even even when we have stronger takes on here, I think they trust that you know we're mostly level headed and and not going for um, sensationalist uh, takes for the sake of it. Um, Twitter is not always that way, but rarely do I get get people bent out of shape about what we're saying on the podcast. Usually they understand um, that we come at things from from all different sides and try to try to be as reasoned as possible. So exactly. Um, hopefully 
if people choose to read it, if they don't, I, I understand because uh, not a, not exactly a fun topic to think about. But um, hopefully they they think that it was um, fair on all sides uh, and not not too heavy handed because that wasn't really wasn't necessarily my intent. I'm willing to bet most our listeners will will feel that way. And just as a quick aside, the Saints were picking 11th uh, right behind where the Chiefs moved up to get Patrick Mahomes. So perhaps they Didn't would. did the Texans move up too? Uh, let's see. Houston, it looks like they did because I believe. Who was picking uh, 13? Arizona, who didn't have a yes, quarterback Arizona at that point was also um, a team that was supposedly interested in Patrick Mahomes. So right. I think that the Bills were the sweet spot. And yeah. as I point out in the the piece, the other thing is that move was almost universally praised. Oh, yeah. Trading down, getting a future first round pick. It was viewed as a patient move with force, you know, a view to the future, something they hadn't had in forever. Um, so there's that part of it, too. Um, should, in hindsight, they have been considering a quarterback stronger? Probably. But in the moment, not too many people argued with. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that Doug Whaley was still there. So like, don't let, don't make this pick while that guy's still here. It might have even been right process, wrong result. Um, right. And if they had picked him, it would have been bad process, good result. So um, that's kind of the way it goes sometimes. But um, hopefully, people learn something because that was. I haven't seen. People will laugh at this statement, but if you think about it, I think it's true. I haven't really seen like a good explainer on the Bills pat- passing on Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. It's it feels like a topic that people are sick of because of radio and Twitter, and there's certainly been people that have pointed out that they passed on Patrick Mahomes, which is pretty obvious, um, but not necessarily something that dives into the nuance of the situation. I I feel like there's been that part of the conversation has been lost mm-hmm. and it's turned into, oh, the Bills should have had Patrick Mahomes. Oh, this and that. Oh, they, you know, and people picking sides saying, oh, they won the trade or this or that. But I don't know, just a little bit of nuance on the situation and some some hopefully new information that, that explains what they were thinking and, and how it went down and trying to piece the puzzle together. But the, the more nuance you have in situations like this, it's usually for the better. So I, I, I think it this might even serve as somewhat therapy for those that have been frustrated by the conversation to have some sort of like a basis of what exactly happened rather than just the simple, very basic fact of the Bills traded the pick that wound up becoming Patrick Holmes. That's the starting point, but that's that's why I think a lot of uh, a lot of people are going to enjoy it's, this piece. It's too much for Twitter, right? Yeah, I, I tried a Twitter thread on the topic in January, and it was uh, it was not well received. <laughs> it was a you know it caused a a flood in my mentions. There were people that understood where I was coming from, but uh, like I said. A little different when you're on Twitter and you're trying to have the snapshot and you have, frankly, you know, Twitter is different than people listening here or, you know, people that, that read, um, take the time to read and comment, uh, on the athletic. It's a different, yeah. uh, different subset of the, uh, readership, but, um, yeah, uh, hopefully people take the time to read it and let me know if I, uh, what's missing. Perhaps there's something, uh, Something I didn't point out. I tried to get get to everything and get to all sides of the the topic, but 
um, hopefully people want to continue the conversation. I'll, I'll be t- very cautiously uh, dipping my toe into the comment section. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll monitor it for you. How about that? <laughs> it's always, yeah, we'll it's always easier to do for others. Screen the comments. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be your spotter, comment spotter. Uh, so yes, check that out. The story is called behind the bills decision to trade the 2017 pick that became Patrick Mahomes at right now. You can find that at theathletic.com or on Matthew Fairburn's Twitter feed. And you'll also be able to find uh, the schedule announcement that we put out, which we talked a lot on this episode about. And also, uh, I I took another deep dive into the video, uh, this time of AJ Epinesa, and he was he was labeled a, a low, uh, a high floor, low ceiling guy. And I wanted to kind of dive into that to see if that was actually truth or if that's just like a general accepted narrative that's that's going around but I, I was actually really impressed by going through and watching I think it was like 14 or 15 of his games from the past two seasons and thinking that maybe there that there's there's more that could be to this guy than than what everyone is is saying so you can find that right now over at theathletic.com as well and you can sign up by going to theathletic.com slash the buffalo beat if you haven't already all right matthew fairburn we've said a lot of parting words but do you have any uh brief ones for our for our listeners out there i do not i feel like uh that <laughs> that was all enough of a sign off <laughs> i think i think the only thing that could have changed the the bill's fortunes more would be if they had signed blaine gabbert yes uh, you know who also went turning the tables on you draft i believe uh i should have found a w- i should start finding a way to sneak him into my stories I could I could have said well it's not as if Patrick Mahomes was a was Blaine Gabbert although he kind of was because he went like ten I think Blaine Gabbert went either ten or eleven so um, talk about do overs yeah. that would be that would be a nice uh, I saw somebody um, actually post about there was a good Blaine Gabbert stat I saw somebody tagged me in it naturally. there are no good Blaine Gabbert stats no this is a really good uh, <laughs> stat the number of start he's like the worst uh it was it was really bad uh i'm gonna have to dig through and find it maybe for the uh the next episode but he's oh this is it since he was drafted in 2011 this is from seth galena of pro football focus since he was drafted in 2011 of the quarterbacks who had at least 100 dropbacks in a season blaine gabbert owns five of the 25 worst single season pff passing grids oh my god 2011 2013 2014 2016 and 2018 so five of the worst 25 seasons belong to blaine gabbert which is kind of speaks to what we talk about the man is an absolute legend the fact that he's still employed is unbelievable uh considering how bad he's been man a real football hero Blaine Gabbert. An American hero. A real American, if you will. <laughs> all right. Uh, we've exhausted all of your time um, throughout this episode. We went very long, but uh, the, the Mahomes conversation deserves deserve the space to breathe for sure. So go ahead and, and check out that piece and all, all the other articles we have over at The Athletic. So for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thank you all for joining us on this schedule episode of the Buffalo Beat, and we will be back next week to discuss some of the Bills roster and, uh, and analyze it further. All right, talk to you then. See ya.